Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Clive Van Deventer, CEO of Bartercard Australia. Well, it's wonderful to have you along today, and I'm really looking forward to bringing this conversation to you with Clive, who I've known for many years prior to him starting his current role. But before I introduce him to you formally, let me briefly introduce myself to those people who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. If we can assist you with any recruitment requirements in your own organisations, I'd welcome the opportunity to have a talk to you. Let me now introduce to you, Clive. Clive Van Deventer has been the CEO of Bartercard Australia since May 2015. Bartercard is a cashless business network with over 55,000 cardholders who barter trade over $600 million each year, with 75 offices around the world and over 600 staff serving their members. Clive looks after their Australian operations based in Queensland, Australia. He also holds an MBA from the Australian Institute of Business. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Clive Van Deventer. Well, Clive, uh, welcome to the Arate Podcast. Fantastic to have you along today. And uh, just to begin, for the people who are listening in, perhaps you can have a chat about your current professional responsibilities. Yeah, hi, hi, Richard. Yes, I'm the CEO of Bartercard Australia. Uh-huh. And uh, as the CEO, I've got total responsibility for uh, the business. Now, Bartercard has been the um, you know been in the country for 26 years, founded uh-huh. on the Gold Coast. Um, it in 2014 uh, listed via BPS on the stock exchange. Um, so my responsibility is is really taking this particular business and moving it from a company owned or privately owned business mm-hmm. and putting a lot more corporate governance in there and and growing the business. Okay, great. And for people who are unfamiliar with what Bytercard is, you know, tell us uh, about what the business does. Yeah. Um, so in the cash economy, you have uh, people selling products and services, and they they receive cash for that for their products and services. Within Bartercard, um, we basically, uh, you know, people earn trade dollars right. for their products and services. Okay. And then they utilize those trade dollars to either offset their cash expenses mm-hmm. or create wealth mm-hmm. with other members. So it's a close user group. You can only spend those trade dollars within the network. Mm-hmm. So our, you know, Bartercard essentially goes out and uh, um, it has a member acquisition strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bring on customers and businesses. So it's a business to business into the small, medium enterprises, the SME market. Yeah. Um, and, and we really basically bring in businesses with like-minded uh, uh, business owners okay. who want to grow their businesses. Um, and then we uh, we allow them to network yeah. and deal amongst each other. So it's a traditional barter system, mm-hmm. but utilizing trade dollars. So it's a lot easier and a lot more convenient, much sure. more flexible. Okay. And uh, I imagine you'd have all different kinds of businesses in there, you know, providing different products and services. 
Absolutely. You know, it's, it's actually quite an interesting business model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have uh, people who are there from uh, the, the one single tradie or uh-huh. a person who cleans a, a, a swimming pool uh, right up to businesses who turn over to $300 million. Wow. So, you know, we've also got, a, we've got developers in there. We sell properties on barter. Mm-hmm. Um, we sell uh, haircuts hair on barter. We do restaurants, you know, meals on barter. Okay. Uh, and it's actually quite interesting because it's, a, it's, a, it's an economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in an economy, you have to have a perfect mix of right. the different products and services. Right. So we constantly as a business need to actually understand mm-hmm. what that mix is all about. Right, um, right down to a hyper-local uh, area. So we, we understand exactly what happens in Adelaide mm-hmm. and what that mix would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we do the same all around the country to ensure that um, there's value for the members. Sure, uh, and it's a completely legitimate service. It's taxed as if you were, you know, spending normal dollars, etc. Yes, recognised recognised by the ATO. Yeah. Um, and the ATO recognises it as similar to the Australian dollar. Right. So you pay your GST on it. Okay. Um, Wish we could actually pay taxes and GST in trade, right. but we can't. Sure. Um, so you know, as a business owner and, mm-hmm. and a business, um, you have to pay the GST and uh, on your products and services in cash. Right. Um, and you have to basically pay your taxes on the revenue that you earn, right. as per normal, right. in cash. Okay. And the way that Bartercard makes their money is is some kind of a membership fee, and you take it per transaction type fee. Yes, we've got really two income streams as right. a business. And those two particular income streams, the one is from a membership or a subscription model. Right. Um, so depending on the type of business that you are, uh, we'd have memberships per month uh, ranging from $99 through $299. And then the second um, income stream for us mm-hmm. is a, a service or a marketing fee um, on every transaction that you make, right. either on the purchase or on the sell. Okay. So um, in the traditional area, if you, for example, have a look at a property developer. Mm-hmm. So a property developer um, would uh, appoint a real estate agent, mm-hmm. and they would, for example, if the property was $500,000, they'll have their service fee on the 500000 the right. full 500000 in our model, we may uh, you know, come to an agreement where the property developer will accept, say, 20%, mm-hmm. 100000 mm-hmm. on trade, and um, the component, we don't ask any other uh, transaction fees except for on the 100000 trade component. Right. And that may be, you know, and that varies from 6.5% to, uh, say, 5.5% okay. um, on the actual transaction. So when you, when you proportion that across the whole transaction, mm-hmm. it's actually um, very low. Okay. And uh, just give us uh, an idea of the scope of the business, how many people and what sort of turnover and things like that. Obviously, those details you can disclose. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a business that uh, it's a global business. So globally, we do about $600,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, $600 million. Right. Dollars, uh, yeah. $600 million a, a year. Um, I don't think I have my job. It was just 600,000, <laughs> but 600 million across the, uh, the globe. Um, and in Australia, we do about 250 million. Right. Um, with uh, active and non-active members, mm-hmm. and they normally, in, in Australasia, you've got about 20,000 uh, members, and that okay. is between New Zealand and Australia. And then each one of those particular members may or may not, you know, may have multiple card holders. Mm-hmm. So, um, and those are businesses that, that actually are members with us. Right. And is it the global business that's headquartered here in Australia, or uh, is 
uh, uh, at the global headquarters elsewhere. No, it's actually a real good success story because it was actually founded by um, you know, three individuals back in 1991, 26 years ago, right. on the Gold Coast. Wow. So it, it was started on the Gold Coast. It was way ahead of its time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it still has its head office in on the Gold oh, Coast. that's excellent. Yeah. And you look after the global business or the Australian business? No, I look after the Australian business, right. which is the bigger component of the business. Yeah. Um, and generally speaking, what we do from here is we set up systems and we set up the uh, franchise business models, or uh-huh. we set up new procedures and then roll it out to right. the rest of the world as okay. well. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the conversation. But let's uh, go back now to uh, you know your early life. Talk to us about where you were born, and you know, mum, dad, brothers and sisters, and and where where it all began. Um, born in South Africa in Durban, um, very similar weather to Brisbane. Right. Um, exactly the same, but not as beautiful as as, as the Gold Coast. Right. Um, and, you know, my earlier part of my life uh, was you know, my dad had his own business yeah. and uh, very successful in the earlier part. And I think that he was, you know, a really both my parents played a really important role model for me in my life. Uh, my dad had a very successful business, but what kind uh, of business? Was uh, it, it, it was an engineering uh, business okay. and working in, in you know installing engineering um, equipment inside a massive you know large large buildings. Okay, um, and uh, you know he he actually uh, he wasn't um, university qualified, mm-hmm. and he just did it through the hard knocks of life. Right, um, and with the turmoil, and you know, as you normally in the in the engineering industry or the building industry, there's there's the seven year cycle. Yes, and uh, Dad lost everything. Right, um, you know, so as as a you know, I, I most certainly learned a lot of lessons. And that how old were you then? I was probably around about fifteen. Right, so um, you were old enough to really you know understand it and the consequences. Absolutely, you yeah. know, it's it's the one day you have everything, and the next day you've got nothing. You've got to move house, and mm-hmm. you've got to do all those type of things, and. Um, you know, and, and one thing that I realized was that, you know, you, you, you really have to, to get that education behind you because that's what dad lacked. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and most certainly he gave up where mum was more of a, a person who was very focused and had this real positive attitude. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually my dad passed away in a very early stage of our lives. But my mum was really the rock. Okay. Uh, in a person who had a really a strong moral compass, mm-hmm. didn't blame the world for anything, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and was determined to make sure that that you know we we um, are looked after and, and move forward. So a lot of respect to my mum, and and I think that that was um, you know keeping your, your your feet on the ground. Never forget where you come from, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't matter what your personal circumstances are. It doesn't matter what you you know what cards you've been dealt. It is your own attitude that you put in mm. to make success mm. um, and it's about that never give up and really just work at it um, and you and have plan. brothers and sisters yes I have um, younger brother who's um, a lawyer in South Africa Australia and now in New York right um, and a sister who is um, in in sales in South Africa and, and unfortunately my older brother passed away at an early age okay um, but yeah so we, we, we dispersed all over the world sure. yeah and um, and so uh, you're 15 when your dad's business failed. Yes. Uh, you were obviously, I imagine, still at school. Yes, I was. And, and so, you know, where did things go to you know, when you were leaving school? You know, yeah. how did your career start? 
you know, the first first big lesson that you learn, and, and whilst at school there were a lot of coaches on a lot of uh, athletics at provincial level, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's all about the training and, and repeating, and, and mm-hmm. if you do something wrong, keep you competing. So I think there were a lot of lessons learned out of that. Uh, as a South African, as soon as you leave school, you have the option to go to two years military mm-hmm. or uh, go and study. I opted to, to get my military out of the way. Right. And um, another lesson learned there was discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when you have a strategy in place, execute like crazy because if you don't, you, you, things are going to, the consequences are dear. Mm-hmm. Um, very expensive. You can pay with your life. Um, so it's all about, you know, at an early age, what I learned through the military was, um, you know, you can never, never train enough. And you can never, you know, you don't take the, um, you know, you've got to execute on a strategy. You've got to communicate um, and most certainly do the right thing. Uh, straight after military, I went into university and uh, started studying. I, um, I, you know, did uh, started studying civil engineering, uh-huh. and uh, two years down the down the line, decided that's not what I want to do. I'm not going to be a civil engineer, and uh, was very very fortunate because I moved into uh, some great companies, and I didn't complete my degree at that point in time. Uh, but worked with companies such as um, Smith and Nephew, mm-hmm. Johnson and Johnson Professional mm-hmm. Products, uh, and and eventually throughout my my life, I eventually did my executive um, MBA through Adelaide University. Okay, and so the early part of your career when you're working in the uh, the healthcare space, yes, predominantly in sales type roles. Or? Yes, I um, I basically started off carrying the bag, right, and um, you know I can still remember that every Friday and. In hindsight, now, you know, the, the foundations that were laid was really important. I couldn't see the value. Why the heck would you actually have to do all this training on a Friday? And Johnson & Johnson was really, really stick, a stickler for training. Right. You know, master training, and I went through it every Friday. And, uh, and, and I still utilized some of those sort of learnings. Um, and, you know, during that particular time, won a lot of awards as sales consultant of the year and um, spent a lot of time in, in, in theatre watching operations and then was promoted into as an, an assistant product manager in Johnson & Johnson, mm-hmm. probably one of the youngest guys to be promoted mm-hmm. with him in, at head office. Um, so relocated from Durban up to Johannesburg to pursue a career. Um, I'm very, very fortunate that... Uh, and, and, you know, one of the key things always in that is um, uh, that you have a partner that believes in what you believe mm-hmm. um, and support you. And I've been always very, very fortunate that my partner has always basically supported me in my career choices. Okay. Yeah. And I note that, uh, you know, during that period of your career, you probably, you know, had a number of moves, a couple of years uh, in individual roles and so on. And yes. so what led then uh, to... In '96, you know, starting your own business. Yes, you know, um, spending time with a corporate business. Uh, I think we all go through that particular um, ideas of, you know, I can do this better. Sure. You know, I'm I'm invincible because yeah. you know you hit your targets and you hit the numbers, and um, you believe that uh, it's all about you. It's you know you're the one that 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 have done it all, mm. and and you forget about all the people around you, and you forget about the strength of the brand, and you forget about all the other really key things that that make the difference. Um, so yes, I um, it you know I 
it was a period when I was in with Smith and Nephew. I uh, at that point in time had found a niche in the marketplace and um, found that within the sports market or the sports medicine market. Uh, there weren't any categories in the pharmacies. Um, it was very difficult for you, a sportsman, mm-hmm. to actually walk into a pharmacy and, and find what you wanted. So I created with a partner, um, you know, we decided to create a new business, landed up, uh, landed an agency from the United States, Mueller Sports Medicine, and um, decided to, to launch that in, in, in Australia. Uh, a, a, a big, a really good, valuable lesson that I learned was that my business partner and I spoke about it, and you were still in South Africa then. Yes, I was. So my business partner and I basically spoke about um, resigning on the same day. Right. Um, I went in. I resigned as a fifty percent partner in the business. He went. Uh, the the CEO of the company tried to speak me out of it. Right. But I stuck to my guns. That's what I said I was going to do. He went in and he didn't resign. So all of a sudden, I sat with 100% of a company, and, right. uh, um, and uh, you know, within the first two years, again, probably about 15% of the market share, mm-hmm. uh, and then eventually uh, realised that to take this business further, I um, I came into Australia, launched mm-hmm. the business in Australia, and that's when I fell in love with Australia mm-hmm. and um, sold off the business in Australia. And then, when you were in South Africa, what was the thing about Australia? versus, you know, going into another country? You know, number one is the cultural differences. Right. You know, there's such big differences, you know, when you work in Australia versus South Africa, the cultural difference is so different. Right. Um, in what respect? You know, in, in, in just in, in the way that you deal with people. Right. Um, you know, in, in Australia, it's a lot more consultative and a lot mm-hmm. more engaging. Uh, you know, you have to basically take people in on a journey. Mm-hmm. And in South Africa... Uh, while she still do that, you can you have the luxury of also basically sometimes you need to actually just uh, uh, control and command. Right. Um, you know, and and Australia tends to be a lot more of a a a, a softer approach um, versus in in Aust- in South Africa it tends to be a lot more aggressive approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to adjust between those two. So I mean, uh, had you been to Australia? you know, as a, a tourist and decided, well, I really like Australia, I'll move my, uh, I'll bring my business interests here, or was it the other way around? You saw Australia as a great business opportunity and then coming here through business, you decided that you wanted to live here. You know, I wish I could say at that point in time it was based on pure market research, right. but it wasn't. Okay. Um, it, at that point in time, it was opportunistic. Uh-huh. Um, I had a business partner who um, was pretty wealthy right. uh, that wanted to uh, move into Australia. And okay. this was an opportunity for us to expand into Australia. And that was really what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, you came here. You, uh, you were saying that you achieved good market share in South Africa. Yes. How, did, how did things fly for you in Australia? Yeah, the launch was very good. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my objective was really just to launch the business and sell off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that objective was, was achieved okay. so that I can pump back money back into, a, in, into the South African business. Mm-hmm. Um, five years later, uh, the business, or rather two and a half years, three years later, I sold the business in South Africa, mm-hmm. but I retained on, on the board there for mm-hmm. a number of years okay. um, to ensure that it happened. I then moved into the, um, the leisure industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, uh, you know, straight after I sold my business in about 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and took on a role with a company called Club Leisure Group, mm-hmm. which was a, um, a vacation ownership business. Uh, at that point in time, you know, everybody knew it is, you know, had a bad reputation, timeshare, time yeah. really bad reputation. So my, my um, uh, directive from the board was clean it up. Okay. Um, you know, get in here, create, um, you know, really, we've got to clean this industry up. Again, and that's in South Africa, though. Still in South Africa. Yeah. Most certainly still in South Africa. So uh, for a number of years there, I, I focused on, um, you know, moving franchises out, purchasing back franchises, um, and, and really just uh, utilizing um, good business principles mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to build the business going mm-hmm. forward. Um, Do you think that reputation was purely you know, the stigma around the way that it was being sold, it was almost, um, or were there other elements of that type of business that would created some reputational issues? I think that it was definitely in the way that it was sold. Yeah. Um, definitely uh, a very pressurised sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the early days in, in that particular industry, um, you know, people were utilising um, methods which were unethical mm-hmm. to, to sell a product. Uh, but the industry grew up, and those were the rogues in the business, mm. and they basically moved on from there. Um, and then, most certainly, you know, once a person got locked into the system, it was very difficult for them to exit the okay. system. Um, and they, you know, they had really a ball and chain on them, mm. and the only way they could exit that was by losing money. Right. Um, but the people that were in the system and that used it and under the right, you know, with, with really great consultant with an ethical sort of way, mm-hmm. they loved it. Yeah. You know, and uh, it grew. Okay. Um, so most certainly from that particular side, there was, uh, it's a very good industry. It was an industry that most certainly, um, you know, taught me a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, most certainly taught me the value of, um, you know, how important it was to, you know, when you make a promise to deliver on the promise, mm-hmm. um, to really give me, you know, give a sound in, you know, sound backing on um, the importance of getting the right people in the business. So focusing on target marketing, focusing on the lead generation, ensuring that you get the people in, uh, but get them in, 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 you know, with with the right, um, you know, under the right uh, premises. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they must not misled. Mm-hmm. And and it's really about the journey of the, the member, the journey of the customer, right throughout the process that you've got to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, and, and it's really taking care, taking care of the customer from from start right through to the end. Mm. So there are some real good learnings in that mm. particular industry. And so, how did you end up then uh, relocating to Australia permanently? Um, it was really interesting. I was sales and marketing director in South Africa in Johannesburg, and um, I got a call from a headhunter and said to me, "Would you be interested in a role in Australia?" Right. And I said, "Well, where?" Mm. On the Gold Coast, and I thought, "My gosh, Gold Coast! Where is that?" <laughs> well, it's somewhere close to Brisbane. So, right. okay, um, yeah, let's have a chat. I had no idea who the company was, but we had a chat. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when I actually found out that it was the Trend West at that point, I'm a Wyndham, um, and you know, I, I was, I knew that that was my role. Um, and they had been hunting for this particular position for about two years out in the marketplace. Mm. And I think that the stars just aligned. I had the right. right experience. I was probably at the right age. And um, most certainly I had the right strategies to add value to the business. Right. Um, so unlike many South Africans who are here because they wanted to yeah. essentially escape yes. the uh, political, you know, uh, and... Uh, 
you know, challenges of living in South Africa, you came here for a job opportunity. Yes, I was very, very fortunate. You know, I cannot talk like a normal South African <laughs> because, um, you know, Wyndham was just absolutely fantastic. You know, they took care of me, um, you know, from, from the moment that mm-hmm. I landed here. Uh, I can't recall filling in one document, legal document. They, you know, interviewed me, spoke about and everything was taken care of. Um, but the probably the proudest moment for me was when I was able to hand back my South African passport and accept the, the oh. Australian passport. Right. Yeah. So how many years were you in Australia prior to becoming a citizen here? Um, I, I, I was really fortunate because I think at that point in time we needed to be here about two years. Right. And then a year later I got my citizenship. Okay. So if I, if I can recall correctly, that's probably about it. Right. And yeah. so you worked uh, with Wyndham for about six years? Yeah, about close to seven, yeah. Right. And then uh, back out to fly your own flag again? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, Wyndham, during that particular time, I... Um, you know, I learned a lot from most certainly, um, you know, the, the, the CEO there, mm-hmm. um, you know, really focused, a really great leader and um, a fantastic man, mm-hmm. um, but a man who, who basically is a very loyal type of person. So I have great respect for, for the individual. Um, but it was time for me to move out and because I wanted to be a CEO mm-hmm. um, and Barry, who was the CEO there, you know, he was um, about the same age as me. And, you know, he would never move away from his role. So it was time for me to fly the coop. Right. Um, or fly the nest, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. And um, that's when I actually went out to, to, turn, to be a turnaround CEO and consult mm-hmm. to various different businesses. Okay. And, uh, and so, uh, as mentioned, director of your own business. Yes. You know, what, what was uh, the intent? What were you hoping to achieve? Well, the first sort of thing is like um, really act as a mentor to to other uh, business owners. Right. Um, really focus on the on the niche market. Where, you know, I, I felt around about the twenty million mark. Um, you know, business around that sort of mark where businesses needed to um, uh, weren't looking at the business. Uh, the way that they should mm-hmm. and they needed um, hands-on coaching mm-hmm. rather than as a consultant I, I don't really like uh, I wouldn't see myself as a consultant mm-hmm. I was more of a hand-on coach and a hands-on person who goes into the business and actively work in the role with the owners and they were a variety of different businesses yes so yes not were. purely within the sort of leisure uh, hospitality type space so were any kind of business. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, there's been a business whereby uh, the company went into liquidation. Right. And my responsibility was to refinance the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was in the retail industry, close operations in Europe, close operations, restructure the operations in America, um, renegotiate agreements with, um, with the manufacturers in China. Um, so it was a total restructure of the business and then a year later hand back the keys in a profitable situation. Okay. Um, and then on the other side, um, you know, it, there, there was also engineering companies in there. So it's a diverse, you mm-hmm. know, diverse roles that mm-hmm. I, I was actually looking at. Great. And so you obviously enjoyed that and got lots of flexibility and variety and so on. So at what point did your thinking start to change to actually want to get back into a, you know, a, a corporate career again? You know, I, uh, I've always come back from, always worked with companies like Johnson & Johnson, Smith & Nephew, mm-hmm. um, Wyndham. You know, those companies are all listed on the New York Stock Exchange and companies or on the British Stock Exchange, mm-hmm. businesses which, um, you know, was of large scale um, and 
all of a sudden I'm, I'm in a situation where I'm thinking about you know the one dollar, the two dollar, rather than the, the hundred thousand sure. or two hundred thousand. And um, I enjoyed that mm-hmm. uh, for a period of time, and I enjoy looking after that particular side of the business. Um, and I wanted to get back in leading people. Mm-hmm. You know, when you consult or you work as a coach, you're basically working with one person. Mm. And I enjoy the side of leadership. Mm. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy mentoring people. And I enjoy solving problems mm-hmm. and then putting strategies together to, to and, and, and deliver on those. Yeah, I, I work with a lot of people who have exited their executive careers, sometimes by choice, yes. like you. Yeah. Other times, you know, they've um, been made redundant, particularly through the GFC, and yes. they've gone out and worked in a consulting role or a coaching type role for yeah. a period. And for some people, they, you know, they miss the cut and thrust of big corporate. And, yes. you know, as a coach consultant, they talk about, well, it's all care, no responsibility. And, yes. and they want to actually see the, the fruits of their efforts. Yeah. Um, which is obviously, you know, your case. And on the other side of the coin, there's other people who they get into that and they go, man, there's no way that I would go back to working, uh, you know, in the corporate environment. And yes. so for you, you know, you went then to work for Accor. Yes. Um, how did you find, you know, you'd gone from big corporate into your own, uh, yes. and then you went back into corporate. Yes. How, how did you culturally deal with that? You know, it's, um, it's actually, I... And I guess that it's all about, um, you know, adapting mm-hmm. um, and, and taking full responsibility of the job at hand, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, understanding, you know, whether it's shareholders that you have to basically report to or a board that you have to report to or you work with one specific owner. Mm-hmm. It's always about, you know, having the meeting of the minds and understanding what the outcomes are and then putting the strategies in place and then, then execute them like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Working with individual owners rather than a board, you'd find that quite often you have personalities like maverick entrepreneurs, or you have people that don't have the, uh, in smaller businesses, sometimes, um, you know, people really look well after they understand the difference between cash flow and and the understandings of of profit, and in other cases, um, you know, you have people that, that really have no concept, mm. um, you know, that, that you've got to actually manage your cash flow, that, that, you know, so there's a deeper learning that you've got to do um, versus on the corporate market, inevitably, all those structures are in place, um, things are in place. So it's a, from a cultural point of view is working with a smaller business, it's, it's, it's really focusing on the individual trees versus working in a corporate business, you tend to have the luxury or different working more on the strategic side of the business. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, t- I tend to prefer to work on the strategy side. Right. And also, you know, you're at Wyndham, you think, I really want to be a CEO. Yes. My boss is going nowhere. Yes. So you exit, do your consulting work for a few years. Yes. And then when you went back into Accor, you went back in, in not as the CEO. Yeah. So what, what was happening in terms of your thinking, you know, about yeah. the, this sort of aspirational CEO role? Okay, so with the core, it was a, it was a year contract that I did uh-huh. with them as a general manager in Asia. Yeah. Um, and uh, at that point in time, still working for myself. So okay. it was a contract period. Okay, yeah. So it was part of my consultancy uh, business. Right. And um, so a core was um, also, uh, they wanted to expand their vacation ownership side mm-hmm. in, in the, um, in the uh, 
the Southeast Asian market, mm-hmm. and I help them basically put structure to do together, help them with acquisitions over that particular. And where in, were you Indonesia. based? Uh, based in Indonesia. Okay. Based in you know very very fortunate it was was I had I um, had an, a, an apartment out in Bali. Right. So it it was great for a year. Fantastic. Uh, but but most certainly um, you know you know the travel was was. Really crazy, mm. um, you know. You probably spend one couple of days in every six weeks back home. Right. So it's not, um, you know, it, that's something that you can do for a short period so of time. So your family there with you, or they? No, they, they stayed, stayed in. Here. Yes, they stayed in Australia, uh-huh. and that really, that really, after the year contract, you know, whether I'd renew or want to do more longer mm-hmm. with them, um, I decided to to most certainly embark and look for another opportunity. Right. Um, and that's where the barter card opportunity came across. And okay. um, uh, probably the first time that I applied for a position in in maybe about 20 years. Right. So, but a, a great, great, great uh, move, I think. Okay. And so how did uh, the barter card opportunity come to your attention? Um, it, it, it was uh, one of my colleagues um, had actually approached me and said, mm-hmm. you know, notified me about this particular role that he heard about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was advertised in the Australian um, newspaper and um, I applied. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, fortunately I, I, I ticked most of the boxes mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was, you know, after a, a number of interviews, very fortunate to land the role. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, obviously you came from a different industry, but a lot yes. of the skills... Uh, you know, I, I talk about in my book, you know, these quadrants and uh, same job, same industry, different yes. job, different industry, etc. Yes. And, uh, you know, for you, um, you'd not been a CEO before yes. and you'd worked in a different industry before. So essentially you moved to different job, different industry. What do you think it was about, you know, your skill set that gave Bartikard the confidence that you were the right guy for the job? You know, I think that um, energy, uh-huh. uh, one of the key things is that uh, uh, you know, to be in a, you know, to 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 basically be a CEO, I think you've got to be be able to be really passionate, be able to have a high level of energy and a high level of drive. Mm-hmm. Um, that attitude of wanting to succeed, that attitude of wanting to to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can all go out and go and study uh, and and get a degree behind you or or, or get the education, etc. Um, but unless you actually can, you know, you can see it in a person's eyes. And in the body language, um, you know, that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I believe, and I actually did ask the board at one stage, you know, why me? Yeah. You know, what, what was the reason? And it was that, um, you know, that I'm able to inflict or rather get the energy up in the business. Okay. Um, one of the key things that I always basically have a look mm-hmm. at uh, every morning that I walk into the office, when I open up the lift, I am... Um, I, I have a look at if my receptionist is there, do they take my energy up or down? Right. I walk the floor and all throughout the whole business and say good morning to every single person. Mm-hmm. And I'm in touch with the people. Mm-hmm. It's a people's business. Mm-hmm. And I'm in touch whether the energy's up or down. Mm-hmm. Um, if their energy's down, they're going to take my members and owners or, or business energy down. Mm-hmm. If they have a problem, they're going to take down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you know, and, that, and that's it. So I guess that is that is something that is different to the norm. Yeah, yeah that's um, interesting. And so, uh, so a couple of questions around that. So, firstly, when you're you know walking the floor and you're feeling the energy, is that an intuitive thing, or are there actual specific uh, indicators you're looking for to to assess? You know, people's energy, etc. You know, I, uh, I, I guess the one thing you can be a thermometer 
Right. And you can just measure the energy, the, the, the level of the temperature in the room. Yeah. Or you can be a thermostat and you can actually change the energy. Right. So it's about the ability to walk around and be in tune mm. with what the business should be. Yeah. Um, if they're, you know, as a leader, I mean, one of the key responsibilities it would be to, to instill confidence in the business and confidence in the people. Mm-hmm. It's about basically, um, you know, letting people, people have to believe what you believe mm-hmm. um, and they see it in you. You know, I, I, I've, I've noticed that early in my career that, you know, um, couldn't, you didn't, didn't really understand why would the energy be down? Why would people basically, and, and when you take your own, things into the business, yeah. it rubs off. And, sure. and the influence of the leader is, is really important. So you're the thermostat rather than the thermometer. Right. I suppose so it's intuitive. You know, it, okay. Uh, so it's an intuitive sense. It's definitely an intuitive. Right. Absolutely. Right. So, okay. And, and so um, my next question around that is, that, is that something that you just developed in terms of your leadership style, you know, personally, or had that been a skill that you learned from somebody earlier in your career that you've then gone on to apply? You know, there were, um, I've always most certainly um, had that in me in terms of my nature. Yeah. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, caring for people, it's about mm-hmm. people and I, and I really take it to heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there, there's, there has been one or two people in, in my life that, yeah. that have actually influenced that. Right. Um, you know, whereby... You know, you're you're the first time. I remember the first time that I basically had to. Um, uh, I took on a role in my earlier life, and probably about after the first week, I mm-hmm. had to get make about a hundred people redundant. Uh-huh. Um, at you know, Bartercard? No, or? no, that was not at Bartercard. Okay, right. That was way back in the earlier parts, and um, you know, and and this particular uh, leader in that particular business. Um, you know, I couldn't understand. You know, why he didn't actually want to do it. Mm. And he basically turned around and, and that rubbed off on me. He said, the fact that I've got to get rid of 100 people, I don't care about what happened in the economy. I've just influenced 500 mm. people's lives. Mm. I take responsibility for that. Mm. I have something that I did not see that was my responsibility. Stay in tune with your business. Stay in tune with mm. your people. Because you don't just, it's, it, you know, they're not just... You know, you just can't don't just flick them on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, so take care of the business, mm, okay. take care of your people. And so you uh, offered the role with Bartico, yes. which you obviously accepted. What was the mandate going into the role? Uh, you know, hi Clive, thanks for joining us. This is what we need you to get done. Yeah, it was a very clear mandate. Um, you know, most certainly in terms of the business, um, when the company listed. Uh, the company had um, lost a little bit of focus on on, on its members, uh-huh. um, and we saw a little bit of a decline in the membership, and we saw um, about a card slipping a little bit. So my my mandate has been to uh, to really come in and uh, relook at everything and turn the business. And um, so. Um, while still very strong and really great, my mandate is to grow the business and, and turn the business. Um, and, and that's exactly what I've gone in. And, you know, so I've, I've really had a free reign in the business and a fantastic board, um, you know, really a very supportive, uh, very clear in their directive, and uh, which makes it really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always little small things that you've got to manage as a CEO mm-hmm. because you manage up and manage down. But it is about um, go in there and 
add value, mm. change the business. And, and what have been some of the key initiatives that you've implemented, you know, in the almost yeah. two years that you've been in the role? Yeah, so, you know, when you, when you go into a business that, that um, you know, you still with your founding member in the business, mm-hmm. um, that have actually been there for uh, 24 years, uh, and you've got the board who's been in the business for 10, 15 years, um, and they've worked really hard to create a, a, a business that they were able to take to the stock exchange. Mm-hmm. You, you then have to basically, you know, really have to look very deep. Um, all the structures are in place. It's a franchise business model. There are manuals for manuals. Uh, everything is there. But what I did feel, and as I said earlier, it's that intuitive, um, when I walked the floor, I felt the business was dated. Mm-hmm. I felt it was dated. Dated. Right. I felt that the business, the energy, wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that the that that, that you know it's, it was more a view of um, a half glass. You know, it was half empty than half full mm-hmm. type of type of situation. So the first sort of thing was for me to um, seek to understand. Understand, you know, get the thermometer out, mm-hmm. or thermostat out, and actually understand what the temperature of the business. What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Where can we improve? How can we do it? Um, my focus has predominantly been about um, putting a clear vision in, and my vision is to help businesses succeed. Very simple. Mm-hmm. That is our motto. That's what we're going to do. Um, the second thing is um, then identified and had a look at our core values. Um, and worked within the business so that um, from a right through from from the board right down to um, you know to 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 the lowest denominator in the business had an influence or had a vote on what our core values would be mm-hmm. um, and you know and there were a couple of real core values in there such as being cost, con, being consumer uh, customer centric mm-hmm. uh, being communicative being visionary being adaptive being accountable uh, and being principled. Um, you know that was a really important one for me. So it's about creating the values, and then we've put a five-year. I've put a five-year plan on uh, with the support of an organisational uh, psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, a five-year plan on what I want this culture to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a clear vision of what my culture will be at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, put on the core values, and we're embarking on that journey. I've changed uh, structure in the business. I've changed people in the company. I've changed my leadership, um, you know, and uh, ensure that we have that positive energy um, because that will breed more mm. positive energy in that. Um, and then clearly having a look at that one percenter. Um, you know, I'm not concerned about a 10 or 20 percent improvement. I want that one percent improvement every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will give me 52 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Uh, you chose to be supported by an organisational psychologist. Uh, yes. You know, with your vision and so on. What? Why did you uh, choose to? You know, engage that type of person. Um, uh, you know, and how did you go about finding the right person to help you to do that? Um, you know, the first thing is that. Uh, I have a vision. Mm-hmm. I know how to get there, and you know I'm I will execute it like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I don't know, and I would rather go and seek out best advice and best support from the experts like yourself if I need that support, um, rather than trying to basically beat around the bush 
to, um, to try and work out things myself. Okay. Um, so the organizational psychologist is an individual that has consulted to, to the business before. Uh-huh. Um, so she had an understanding of the business, mm-hmm. and she also worked with a very large um, consulting operation. So I engaged her, in, and, and she will continue being engaged in a part-time mm-hmm. um, situation in the business to ensure that we do it. Mm. And... Um, the one of the key things that I've also said to her, for example, is that um, these are my core values. If you see me waver from them, you hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. You tap me on the shoulder and you hold me accountable. Mm. So I've given her the permission to to hold me accountable mm-hmm. to the values and the core direction that mm-hmm. I want to go to. Okay. Okay. Um, and and it is it is not something that um, you know that that is just a piece of paper that we we saying that perhaps we should do that. I'm mm-hmm. investing time, effort, money in that, and I'm um, making sure that there's a um, there's engagement from the rest of the business. Mm-hmm. So over the two years, I'm I'm really really excited because um, you know we've embarked on uh, you know I do pulse checks on the business, um, the engagement with my staff. Now bear in mind that we've got a um, a, a, a franchise business model as well mm-hmm. um, and we, we disperse right around the country we've done a lot of changes and we have an engagement level of above 80% mm-hmm. um, which I'm you know if, if you if I look at where we started mm-hmm. um, we're above 80% engagement level mm-hmm. um, and if you've got an engaged staff you can do a lot more yeah you know and that's the real key thing for me um, you talk a lot about energy yes uh, and so um, that's obviously fundamental to the way that you lead. Yes. Uh, why, why is that so critically important to you? Um, you know, I, I believe that you, you, you have to basically, to have energy, you've got to be passion, passionate mm-hmm. about what you do. Mm. Um, you know, and that will, you know, in, in, in terms of um, you, you've got to be, number one, in a healthy situation in yourself. Mm-hmm. You've got to look at your own lifestyle. You've got to look at, um, you know, being a healthy individual. So, um, you know, I've, I've in the business made the whole business. Uh, we had a smoking area. I cut that right out. Mm-hmm. I've um, make sure that we develop a care team. Uh, clients are really everything, including our. I see my staff as my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where we have um, most certainly well-being, lifestyle, mm-hmm. how to eat better, how to to stay fit, how to do all that. Because that also, if they, you know, if people train and they, they, they're a little bit healthier, mm-hmm. they've got more energy. Um, because it rubs off in the business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, uh, we all know that, you know, if you have a doomsday and they constantly surround yourself with people who it's, it's doomsday, it will rub off. If you get the energy side, you can have all the best strategies, you can do all the things, but you, you, you can't have a business. I don't believe that uh, the leaders... You know, we basically lead the pace. We we, we we pull the people, and you want to basically make sure that um, you know you lead from the front. Um, so, from an energy point of view, uh, it's it's infectious. Mm. Uh, it is something that rubs off, mm-hmm. and I can see that in the business. And what about in terms of yourself? You know, you you had completed your MBA, so yes. obviously you'd gone and and had that formal education to yes. give you some tools. But you step into a CEO role for the first time, yes. and not just a CEO role, but a CEO of a listed company yes. in an industry that you know you hadn't come specifically from. Correct. When you did your own, you know, self analysis of well, what are the skills that I need in order to be successful in this role? 
what did you identify that were areas that you potentially had some weakness in that you emphasised in terms of your own personal and professional development? You know, one of the key things that um, I, I, I'm always been the one of um, jumping, right. uh, roll up my sleeves and um, would, would be not afraid to jump in. Mm-hmm. And, and it's about, you know, the culture that I want to create is the learning culture that executes and they don't stand together, but I make them stand together. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so also one of the key things is to allow people to learn. Um, you know, and, and as the leader of the business, and especially when you, you know, I'm, a, I'm across all these uh, different departments, whether it's finance, IT, or um, legal, uh, to to slow down, to speed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I've had the, you know, I, I've, I've had a personal, um, the, the, the way that I am is I want to get it done. Yeah. I want to get it done right now, and this is it. I've got to get it done. Mm-hmm. So to be aware of not to fish for people, but allow them to teach them how to fish uh-huh. uh, because that, you know, you're slowing down mm-hmm. to speed up. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably been one of the key things for me. Right. So um, it, your natural inclination is just to get on with it and get it done. Yes. But you recognize that that wasn't going to give you the success in the longer term. Yes. So you had to adapt to a new type of, you know, style in relation to leading people. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And it's also, you know, in some, and, and, and yeah, some things you do slow down mm-hmm. and other things, you know, it's, it's really urgent. Yep. You take control there and then. Right. You know, the things that land on my desk, by the time that it lands in my desk, I have to react mm-hmm. and I have to take action as quickly as possible mm-hmm. um, because, it, you know, and, and uh, but on the other hand, there's a lot of other things that I can slow down mm. to speed up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really uh, the big learning that I've had to do. Right. And so two years into the role now, you've obviously achieved some great things. I imagine a number of those early key deliverables or milestones have been met. Yes. So when you now look to the future, you know, what are the things that you're excited about doing within the business moving forward? You know, I'm really excited about basically taking uh, the business into an area where we, Barnacard is, is a household name across the, across the whole of Australia and the world, mm. but it's uh, that it is a referral business that is sustainable, mm-hmm. you know, um, up until uh, where you know, up until now, uh, you know, there are certain referrals and refer, refer, uh, you, you, you know where people refer the business, uh, other businesses to us, yeah. but not the volume that I want, okay. not where I want to get to. So, so you're t- you're not talking about uh, referring trade between each other. You're talking no, about no. existing clients, yes, referring new businesses to adopt Bartercard. Absolutely. Right. You know, one of the key things that, um, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about is the, um, you know, I'm a, a customer centric. Um, I, I really believe that, you know, when we do things, um, there's only one person that pay our bill. And yeah. that's the member and that's the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and therefore, you know, we've got to pay attention to things like net promoter score. Yeah. Um, we've got to basically, and I've, I've, I've inst- brought that into the company. Mm. So we absolutely monitor a net promoter score. I, I'm, I'm working through a journey in the business whereby a success to me, where it's not about the result. Mm-hmm. It's not about a turnover. But the success to me is when I reach a, a certain uh, very high positive number in my net promoter score. Right. Because I know that if I achieve that, 
those members will reward me with yeah. the other numbers and, and the revenue would come. So that is really important. So to focus on, in, in let's say, in five years' time, I want to ensure that every single touch point of the member's journey mm-hmm. is a 10 out of 10 experience mm-hmm. with minimum deviation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know that I've achieved success. It's a fantastic tool, isn't it, Net Promoter yes. Score? It's just so simple and yet so immediate in terms of a, a feedback mechanism. Um, uh, we use it in our business as well. I think it's amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. And so uh, what about for yourself personally? I mean, you uh, you had this burning desire to yes. become a CEO. You've achieved that. You've ticked that off the bucket list. Yes. Uh, you know, what, what do you see in terms of your own career in the future? Yeah, you know, I've, I've often uh, every... every uh, once a month, I would go home and tell my wife that I'm going to study a doctorate. Right. And um, she keeps on telling me, no, you've rather got to focus on, on doing renovations at home. <laughs> Spend your time in that. Um, so I have this burning desire of, of, of further studies right. uh, internally. Um, and, and is a PhD a serious consideration? Yes, it is. You're a brave man. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know if it's a brave or a stupid man, right. but... But it is, you know, it's it's one of those burning desires in in myself for no mm. other reason, just for myself. Mm. Uh, I don't read storybooks and things like that. I I, I do enjoy reading, um, you know, books that are going to add value, right. such as those. Um, so in the so further education, mm-hmm. uh, I'll most likely in this particular year also do a course within the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Yes, um, to broaden that. And then uh, as my career progress, would like to basically get on some boards mm-hmm. and share some of my knowledge mm-hmm. that I have and, and add value. Um, you know, so it would probably be you know, taking up more board seats as well. Right. Okay, great. So uh, the majority of people who listen to this podcast are people who are aspiring CEOs yes. or you know, certainly aspiring very senior executives and they're looking for lessons learned by those people who've walked the path before them. I mean, you've shared a lot of your own sort of philosophies so far, but, uh, um, you know, if you were sitting in front of a group of these people, other than what we've already talked about, you know, what have been some of the key learnings for you? You know, one of the key things, believe in yourself. Um, you know, dream it, see it, and go for it. Mm-hmm. Don't ever undercut yourself. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Olympic gold medalists okay. and they've all got the similar sort of thing. They've mm-hmm. got that belief system that, that cannot be rocked. If you're in a situation at the moment where you may have lost your role or you may be in a role where you're in between, in, in between roles or you may decide that you've got a lot more to add, to, to add um, dream it, go after it, but go with somebody that's got that can look after your career mm-hmm. um, and take advice. Um, you know, for me, it's about that, and and you know, you've got to constantly learn throughout every experience. You know, for me, it's never been one particular instant that was a defining moment. Mm. It's that constant kaizen events of learning everything every single day. You've got to learn, and I don't know anything. Mm. I've still got so much more to learn. Um, you know, and, and that's the way that I see it. I don't care whether you're 90 or 100. You've still got more to learn. Mm. So constantly learn, take up the things and stay humble, mm. uh, but go after your aspirations, mm-hmm. but, but, but really go for it. If you believe it, see it, make it happen. And so would you say in terms of the way that your career has unfolded, you've been really, uh, you know, 
clear in your own mind and articulate about goals that you want to achieve? Have you had a yes. structured plan or is it more just unfolded naturally and, and uh, without much design? No, it definitely has not. Uh, it definitely has not. You know, from the first day, you know, even at school, um, you know, I've always been one of those sort of people that, as an athlete, mm. um, I wanted to be the champion at, at, um, at athletics in 800 and, and right. throwing javelin. I was determined and I became that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, you know, in, in, in work, I was determined that by a certain age I will be in marketing and I will be in a product management. Right. I got that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in terms of my career, at, uh, you know, I've been setting goals at uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 mm-hmm. and, 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 and then have smaller goals in between that. Um, I was determined that at a certain age I will be a director, a sales and marketing director, and, and not just a director for a small business but a large organisation. I knew what I wanted. Mm. I knew that I needed to have my MBA at a certain stage, come what may, mm-hmm. whether I had my kids and everything else. I knew it, and that is what I needed to do to make it happen. Right. So I definitely have had, uh, along the way, my own personal goals, and um, you know, I can see them. And, and that's what I go after. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I think I'm about 90 plus podcast interviews in now. And there are CEOs who, you know, like you, have had very clearly articulated plans. And there are others who have, you know, life's just happened. And, you know, without much forethought, they just uh, get to where they are. So uh, it, it's interesting to hear different perspectives. And, yeah. uh, you know, the... There is no one road that is right for everybody, is there? It's, yeah. No, I don't think so. But we're all, you know, we're all basically uh, masters of our own future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, and as I said earlier, on, there could always be a choice at, at your career where you can choose to to pack up and and, and go and um, you know live off the grid. Yeah, we all sometimes feel like that. Yeah, you know, often every time I go to New Zealand. I want to basically buy a farm over the ocean. <laughs> you want to be a hobbit. But, but, but I can make that choice, um, you know, and I can do that. Yeah. Um, but you make choices. Mm-hmm. It's about what choices you make. And um, I imagine that philosophy comes right back from at 15, seeing yes. your dad's business fail. Yes. And he felt that he was a victim of circumstance. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I've actually, uh, the one, one motto that I always basically work on, and I try and instill it out into, into the business, uh, working below the line and working above the line. Mm-hmm. Below the line is when you look at all the external factors, you know, the economy's down, or there's been a, uh, you know, Donald Trump is going to come in, or this is going to happen, or that's going to happen. Looking at excuses, blame, denial, mm-hmm. uh, everything you know, you're looking at external factors, mm-hmm. and then when you work above the line, you take a you take responsibility, mm-hmm. um, and then when you work to 110 percent, you start taking accountability, mentorship, um, that positive side. Um, you know, and and you 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 don't be, you don't drop below the line. So for me, it's all about you know, never drop below the line, mm. never blame anybody else for your own circumstances. Mm-hmm. You have a choice. And you've got to make that choice. Mm. And it's where you want to basically be at. You've had a choice in the morning what you're going to eat. Mm-hmm. You have the choice whether you're going to switch the light on or switch the light off at night. Mm. You have the choice when you walk into the business in the morning whether you're going to make a difference in your people's lives or in your members' lives mm. or you're going to make it the hell for them. Mm. So it's your choice. And mm. the same thing in your career. Plan it, see it, believe it, and go for it. Excellent advice.
So we've talked uh, a lot about business today. Before we uh, wrap it up, you know, what about when you're not at work? I mean, you've already said that your wife's got a long list of uh, domestic <laughs> chores for you to do, but what else do you like to do when, uh, in your downtime? You know, I've got a really, really good mate um, who I, I also have seen. He's about, um, about 10 years older than me, but I've seen him as a mentor, great, great, great guy called Mike Patita. And, and um, so whenever I get a half a chance, we're on the jet skis, right. jumping waves oh, and, really? okay. and riding out. So I'm looking forward to doing a ride. It's about a 130-kilometer ride around Stratbroke, North Stratbroke. Right. Um, so we're planning that. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if I get a half a chance to... Uh, you know, go and do a bungee jump, or or go and do paintball, or right. go and anything, any excuse, but not to build or to do <laughs> renovations at home. Right. So yeah, I love my golf as well. Oh, good stuff. I did paintball once, and I quickly realised if it was a real war on, yeah. I'd be dead within about two minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, well, Clive, really appreciate your time today. I suppose before we wrap it up, is there anything you feel that you'd like to add, or have we, you know, are we done? If we uh, got everything out of the conversation you were hoping for? Um, you know, the, the, the one key thing that I basically think about is that, you know, as much as you basically put things in your own career, um, and in the early parts it sometimes feel that you're quite selfish, yeah. and as you get into a latter part of your career, our responsibility as a leader is, is, is to help those young kids, help them grow, mm. mentor, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, 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 and really being role models to the people who are growing up uh, and, you know, the next generation. Mm. Um, but really, you know, take, a, take an interest in that. And the second sort of thing is, um, you know, giving back to community. Uh, a couple of sort of things that I've basically been doing is I've, within the Bardakar organisation, we have a charitable organised, a charitable um, uh, arm of our business, mm-hmm. and um, whereby we've probably given away about 175,000 to the Fiji Appeal last year. We've done probably about 1.5 million that we've given back to community. Um, but this year and last year, sorry, I, I've actually taken part. Um, uh, you know. One gentleman said to me, what is the pebble in your shoe? Right. What is that pebble in the shoe? Um, and last year, in the beginning of the year, I, I, I drove down the Gold Coast and um, I saw these homeless people. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and even in Adelaide on a trip, and I felt that I'm going to make a bit of a difference. So I've, um, I encourage CEOs to, 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 to look at ways that they can make a difference. doesn't matter how much you do and what you do. I, for example, have taken part in the CEO Sleepout. Yeah. Uh, very fortunate to have a lot of support, and I was the number one last year oh, in the Queensland, yeah. and um, and I'll do it this year again. Mm-hmm. So it is about giving back to community. Mm-hmm. You know, find that pebble in your shoe mm. and give back because it's it's good. Um, because I think it's also good for business. Um, you know, it, it it by doing the right thing. What happens is that your staff see that mm-hmm. and they get more engaged mm. because to them those pebbles are there as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so um, I believe that, you know, as much as what you do for your own career, start looking at how you can add value mm. to the young ones, the people who are aspirational want to get in, mm. and then also to the community in, 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 um, at large as well. Oh, that's excellent. Well, look, uh, Clive, thanks again. Uh, it's been a great conversation, and have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you very much, Richard.
thanks again for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Clive. I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.